Hey guys, we are concluding our series today entitled God at the Box Office. If you've not been here, kind of here's the principle. We just believe, here's what the Bible says, that God's put eternity into the hearts of men, which means you, don't, you may not know God, you may not serve God, but God's kind of built into our DNA, our spiritual DNA, like we have an awareness, whether we want to admit or not, we know he's, he's there. And there are some things that kind of, you just know inadvertently, like maybe you never learned or maybe you were never taught, but, and that comes out in your life. For example, uh, you can be a producer in Hollywood, a director, and those spiritual truths have a way of coming out. And so when you watch a movie, you may be alerted to this now, be, being a believer, you can watch a movie and you can see spiritual principles, you can see biblical truths come through secular movies, never realizing, I'm not saying it's a Christian movie, I'm not saying the whole thing's Christian, but kind of these truths spill out. And we've been looking at movies like Civil War, been looking at other movies. Today, we're going to conclude this series, but here's what, I, here's what I know about movies. Now, I'm a moviegoer, we've got any moviegoers in the house, people like going to the box office. There's been some big blockbusters. But uh, to me, man, there's a lot of things that make a great movie. A great script, lots of explosions. Come on, somebody. Um, a lot of things. To me, man, I love those movies. We've been talking about some of these, like to have these powerful one-liners, like these lines that just reach out and grab you. But I'm from the generation, like back in the day. Now, if you got gray, you're, you know back in the day. He might know what I'm talking about. Today, when they make movies, they have music. They have some, like, background stuff. But back in the day, they would have, like, some theme songs. They would have some soundtracks. And, like, there were some soundtracks back in the 80s that were more iconic than the movies themselves, right? Let me play a couple of these, see if you guys, like, pick these up real quick. Anybody remember this right here? Yeah. Huey Lewis in the news, baby, the power of love. You guys don't remember the movie, right? Back to the Future, part one, part two, part three. Sounding like the, I like that movie, but you like some Huey Lewis. Power of love. Here's one. This is a movie when it came out, made everybody believe they should like join the Air Force, right? Woo! Like this was the recruiting, right? This is the recruiting tool for the Navy and Air Force in the 80s. I would hear this and just believe it. Here's one, right? This was one of the greatest movies of the 80s from the Brat Pack. Oh, man. What? What? This is when everybody fit in the category of burnout and jocks, and, right? Everybody fit in the category of the Breakfast Club. Here's one when this movie came out. When this next one came out, this is one made all the white people think they could dance. Anybody remember this? Like you walked out and you just get a little bit of footloose. Yeah, baby. I was going to break it down, but I didn't want to be a distraction. Right? These are some of those songs that, like, like you can remember them. They're still relevant. This one here, like, you believe your team can win when this song right here comes on. Right? Come on. You can have a losing season, and when the eye of the tiger comes on, it's on, baby. And right here, this is where we're going to go today, not the new version. We're going to roll all the way back, 1984, the Ghostbusters. Anybody here remember this song? Come on, you roll the windows down and get down with some Ghostbusters right here. Come on. Who are you going to call, people? Who are you going to call? It feels good. Come on. Would you ever believe you'd be singing Ghostbusters in church? I got you. I mean, y'all are just like fish in a barrel, I'm telling you. 
So I love, like, I, I did see the new Ghostbusters, but, like, I'm just the original 1984. It's hard to believe it's been out that long. But I'm all about the original Ghostbusters. Here's why. First of all, I had an amazing cast. Have you seen the, by the way, who's seen the new Ghostbusters? Who's seen the original Ghostbusters? Yeah, a lot more hands. Like, first of all, I had a much more amazing cast. Dan Aykroyd, just iconic Saturday Night Live, just a big guy. Bill Murray, all-time funny guy. Rick Moranis, Sigourney Weaver. I mean, it was just such, such a better cast, in my opinion. First of all, also, it was the original movie. It wasn't just like a redo. But to me, what made this movie so cool was like this song, because even when the, when the movie was like long gone, people were still rolling to the song, Who You Gonna Call? Ghostbusters. And so I love this, and to me, it asks this question, and here's kind of the premise of the movie. If you've seen the old one or the new one, the premise of the movie is basically this, is, man, New York City is overcome by ghosts, and, like, not any average person can deal with the ghosts. You've got to call in the specialists. You've got to call in the professionals. You've got to call in the Ghostbusters because they're the only ones who can deal with this paranormal activity. And to me, that question, who you going to call, like, it's a lot bigger than ghosts, right? Who you going to call is like, that's like an everyday question. Because a lot of us, there are some things that we're not professional at. There are some things that we're not a specialist at. For example, when your car breaks down, who are you going to call? Someone in first service shouted Ghostbusters, which if your car is possessed, maybe. <laughs> right? I mean, some of you don't know how to put air in the tire. You've got to call a specialist. You have to call a professional to get your car fixed. If you get into legal troubles, listen, don't represent yourself. If you represent yourself, you're going to prison and you wash in, you're, you're, you're going to wash Tiny's underwear for like the next eight years. Don't <laughs> Listen, when you get in trouble, who are you going to call? You're going to call a lawyer. You're going to call a specialist. You're going to call a professional. What about when you get sick? Now, don't hit me with the WebMD. I know. When you get sick, you don't treat yourself. You call a professional. You call a specialist. You call a doctor. Right, I'm thankful that there's a number that we can call when we get in trouble. Some people who are more trained than us, who are better prepared for us, I am thankful for those three digits, 911, right? Anybody here ever have to call 911? Yeah, not something we want to celebrate. I've had to call 911 a few times in my life. I've got 911 called on me in a few times in my life, right? I mean, man, you hit 911. And in a matter, just a short matter of time, you can have police at your door. You can have paramedics at your door. You can have fire department at your door. And uh, some of you guys know I've shared a lot of stories. I have a, a rich, deep fire bug heritage in my life. I don't know what it is. If I touch fire, it's going to touch something. And it's going to catch on fire. Um, I've caught my parents' bedroom carpet on fire. I burned a garage down when I was a kid. Um, I burnt my neighbor's fence down. Um, you want to influence your neighbors for Jesus? Catch something they own on fire. <clears throat> and... Uh, one time when I was about 16 years old, we were hanging out at this girl's house, and um, a buddy of mine, we smoked, and so we're playing with these lighters, and if he told the story, he would tell it different, but like I just said, I wondered if that bush would burn. I didn't mean see if it would burn. Like I was just, I was just curious, so he lit this bush right next door. I'm telling you, this thing caught on fire. Like It was like a dry Christmas tree, like two weeks after Christmas. Like Immediately, man, it caught on fire. This whole bush is burned. Like I broke out some hot dogs and marshmallows. No, we panicked, called 911, it started catching the house on fire. You know, you call 911, we're like, can, can we help you? I'm like, yeah, the roof, the roof, the roof is on fire. So, you know, again, there are a lot of times in our lives where you need to call a specialist, you need to call a professional. Because a lot of us are just average, everyday people, and there's things we're not trained for, there are things in life we're not prepared for, there are things that we can't handle. So again, you need to call in a specialist. Think about this for a minute. Imagine what it was like to follow Jesus. 
right? Because Jesus, if you don't know this, the purpose of following Jesus is not just for Jesus to forgive you so you can go to heaven. The purpose of being a Christ follower is for us to duplicate our life after our teacher, right? At that time, the reason you had, the reason you had a rabbi was so you could duplicate your life and you could be like the rabbi. Our goal in our life is that as we follow Jesus, as we spend time with Jesus, as you and I are Christ followers, that eventually our life, we begin to reflect what we see, which means we do what we see our teacher do and we say what we hear our teacher say. Now, I don't know about you, but following Jesus can be kind of intimidating, because just like watching a lot of professionals, you know, when you watch somebody who really knows their trade, when you watch somebody who can do what like nobody else can do, like it's intimidating. There's a video on YouTube of this guy climbing like a 2,000 foot um, cell phone tower. Like I'm out. Like if the light bulb's on like the 10 foot area, I'm in. But after that, I'm out. Because you can watch some people who do things and they do it in a way you can't. And it's very intimidating. It's very like, like I could never do that. When we follow Jesus, sometimes when we look at his life, we feel like, man, I, I could never be that. You know, I, I could never help anybody. You know, I don't know what to say in those awkward situations. When you look at how Jesus impacted people's lives, how he changed, how he showed up in their situations, how he always knew what to say, how he brought a true impact and a change into people's lives, and we look at that, and here's the goal. Watch this. Don't miss this. Our goal as Christ followers is not to sit in a nice church and have church every Sunday. Our goal and our call is to be like the one we're following. And so what would it look like? Like, what would it look like if, like, we were the ones? Who are you going to call? Church people. Who are you going to call? Christ followers. Who are you going to call? People that are following the one that has the answer. And so today I want to look at a story because Jesus, on a regular basis, called his disciples who were following him to go out and represent him. In fact, when I say his disciples, I don't mean like just the big 12, not just the apostles. Jesus took groups and hordes of followers throughout scripture and told them, hey, go represent me. Go duplicate what you've seen me do. Go duplicate and say what you've hear me, heard me say. And we see it over and over and over again. And today I want to look at one of these stories because again, for a lot of us, now track with me, for a lot of us, when we think about the challenge of trying to live like Jesus, when we think about like, what would it be like to try to go out into our world and do what Jesus did? Like we feel ill-equipped. We feel like we're just average people and we could never do that. But what I want you to know, and here's where I'm gonna go today, is that I can do this too. Everybody shout that, I can do this too. Like that's what we're gonna see. I want you to watch in the story. Luke chapter 10, here's where the story picks up. Watch this. It says, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples, come on, read it with me, and sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. So this is kind of cool. Right out of the gate, we see this. The Bible says that the Lord chose 72 other disciples. So everybody knows the 12. I mean, you may not be able to name the 12, but if you get a Bible, you can find the names of the 12. The Bible says that Jesus chose 72 others. We don't know their names. Like we don't in history, like there are some people in history that think they can name them, but we don't really know their names. We can't find their names, which means something really important to me, which means that Jesus didn't just use well-known people and well-named people. Jesus used everyday average individuals, people who followed him, people who were changed by him to go into the world and change the world they lived in. 
Jesus took people, maybe your name isn't really known here. Maybe you're not really popular or really important or you don't hold a lofty position or you don't have a great job or you don't have a lot of money. It doesn't matter where you are on the socioeconomic ladder. It doesn't matter where you are in your education. It doesn't matter where you are in your age. If you are a follower of Jesus, he can use you to go into this world and impact it. And so he says this, he says, the Lord chose 72 other. This word choose is, is really cool. Because you've got to picture how this is playing out. Jesus gets his, gets his followers together. And when it says choose, it doesn't mean like he chose some and excluded others. That's not what this word is. The word choose is that this word it basically means to put on display. Woo! Which Jesus wants to use your life to put you on display for his glory. God wants to use like who you are and how you live and how you carry yourself and how you interact in your circles of influence that God wants to use you. He wants to put you on display. Now you might say, Pastor Steve, he's got the wrong person. Like I'm behind the scenes. I'm kind of quiet. Like I don't know very much yet. Like I've not been doing this very long. Like he's got, no, I'm telling you, see, you may not choose you, but he chose you. You may not have it all together, but he got it all together for you. You may be looking for a perfect moment. There isn't one, but we're serving a perfect Savior. And I'm just telling you that because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, you're ready today to be used. Listen, you may feel average, but in God's eyes, you're not average. You can make a difference. It says, the Lord now chose 72 other disciples and sent them ahead in pairs. Come on, everybody shout in pairs. Who's got your back? Who's got your back? Who's... Who's the other person in your corner? See, Jesus knew this, man, that there were going to be some things they faced and they needed somebody in their corner. All the way in the beginning of Scripture, God creates Adam and looks at Adam and says, it's not good for you to be alone. I'm going to make a helpmate for you. Even the Apostle Paul, the greatest apostle that ever lived, he never did ministry alone. Somebody always had his back. Someone was always in his corner. Because I promise you, if you're living this spiritual journey alone, there's going to be times you get discouraged. When you get discouraged, who's there to encourage you? There's going to be times you fall. Who's there to pick you up when you fall? So Jesus even tells the 72 disciples, listen, when you go, don't go alone. Go in pairs. Here at Faith Church, one of our core values is connect. If you're not involved in a connect group, we're getting ready to relaunch our connect groups. Pastor Adam just spoke about them. I would encourage you. First of all, we need leaders. If you feel like, man, you just would love to open up your home or open up an environment where you can go with a small group of people and build relationships and do life together, man, we would encourage you to do it. If you're not ready to lead, at least get plugged in. Get in a pair. Get connected with somebody who has your back, who can hold you accountable, who can love you, who can pick you up and push you forward because everybody needs someone on their side. And then he goes on. He says this, watch. He says, and he sent them ahead in pairs to all the towns and places he planned to visit. Let me just ask you a question. Where do you think Jesus wants to visit in the rest of 2016? See, I just have a sneaky suspicion that this is the year that God wants to visit every high school campus. I think this is the year that God wants to show up in junior high campuses. I think this is the year that God wants to show up on the campus of UNA. I just think that Jesus wants to show up in your workplace. Is there anybody here that just believes that God wants to show up in our world and change the lives of broken and hurting people? Does anybody here believe that? So here's what I know. Watch this. Here's a crazy principle. If you want Jesus to show up in your environment, a Christian has to show up first. 
Someone has to show up and be the mouthpiece. Someone has to show up and be the light. Someone has to show up and be the one that paves the way for Jesus to show up. I'm just telling you what I want you to hear today is that while you might feel average, while you might feel ill-equipped, while you might feel like I'm never the one someone can call on because I don't know enough, I'm not far enough advanced, that Jesus can choose you. In fact, Jesus has chosen you as his disciple. And he wants you to feel the responsibility and the weight and the call to go into your world, to go into your school, your campus, your workplace, and your home and set an environment, set a way for Jesus to show up and change lives. And so Jesus lays this all out, and here's where he gets into instructions, verse 2. It says, these were his instructions to them. Now, you've got to get this because in my mind, he's got the 72 disciples and they're huddled together. He's like, all right, guys, pull in. And he starts giving them instructions of what he wants them to do as they go out. And here's what he says. Come on, shout it with me. The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who's in charge of the harvest and ask him to send more workers into his fields. Man, this is, this is so big, gosh, because this is, this is our heart. This is my heart as your pastor. This should be our heart as Christ followers. Notice the first thing Jesus talks about is the harvest. If you don't know what the harvest is, the harvest is synonymous for lost people. When God looks at this world, what he sees is lost and hurting and broken people who are separated from him. And his greatest desire is like a harvest is to bring them in. And so I love this because Jesus is like, hey, Christians, you know what you need to do? Like you need to get together and have more like kumbaya clubs. And he's like, you know what you need to do? You probably need to do like more book lessons, another Beth Moore study. That would do it for you. Like all that stuff's okay, but I want you to know that Jesus is reflecting the heartbeat of the Father, that what he thinks about, what his passion is, what is, what is driving the kingdom of gender is lost people. And I just think that like if we're really going to follow Jesus, that our hearts should beat, our hearts should break for people who don't know Christ. And I want you to know that we are the solution. Who's Jesus going to call? He's called us to go into this world and preach and live and love Jesus. He says, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. He says these two words, so, so pray. Like if you're here and you don't feel ill-equipped, you feel ill-equipped, you don't feel like you're up to the task. He says, I want you to know that you can invite God into your situation. Like that's what prayer is. Prayer is an invitation to invite God into your life, into your situation, into your call. Right here at Faith Church, one of the things that we do, and maybe you're not aware of this, and I just want to extend an invitation. I want to issue really a challenge. The first Saturday of every month from 9 to 10 o'clock, we get together here and we pray. I just believe with all of my heart that we can never do everything that God wants us to do unless God's a part of it. And when we get together and we pray together, what Jesus is saying is, hey, man, there's a big job ahead, but if you'll just pray. Come on, by shout prayer. If you'll just get together and you'll like, do some prayer together, God's saying, I will show up and I'll move through you. Jesus said it this way. He said, with God, all things are possible. So like this challenge I'm trying to issue today, if you'll pray, it's possible. If you'll pray, it's a possibility. He goes on, he says this, he says, if you'll pray to the Lord of the harvest, who's in charge of the harvest, ask him to send more workers into his fields. Like basically he's saying, listen, the harvest is bigger than just one person. Like no one person can do this all, but if you'll, have like, if you'll have like a multiplication of workers, you'll have an exponential harvest. The more of us who get involved, determined that God wants us to impact this world, the more people we can see saved, the more people we can see come into a relationship with Christ, the more people's eternity can be changed if we start pulling together and we get involved in what God's involved with. 
And he says this, he says, listen, he says, I want you to know that like you can't do this on your own. You got to get some backup. You got to pray for some help. And like, like I own this right here. As a pastor, and God's given me the opportunity and the privilege to pastor a large growing church, like I just want you to know, right now in America, 1,500 pastors a month resign the ministry, most of them because of burnout, because they feel like they got to do it all. They got to call all the people and encourage all the saints and visit all the sick and deliver all the stuff and preach all the messages. I just want you to know, I'm not going to be that pastor. Do you know why? Because right here, this is what the word says. Listen, America is filled with pastors who are preaching to churches who want to be entertained instead of mobilized. I'm telling you what Jesus wants you to do isn't play box church on Sunday. He wants us to go revolutionize our world on Monday. That's what he's called us to do. And so I want you to know, listen, my job, what you all pay me to do is to not do the work of the ministry. My call is to train you to do the work of the ministry. See, Ephesians 4 says, And God gave some apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, which means my job as a pastor is to come along and mobilize and train you to go do the ministry. See, what Jesus is saying is if all you got is pastors in the harvest, there's not enough, near enough people that's going to get saved. And because God is less interested on our Sunday morning gatherings and more interested in our Monday morning harvesting, that's where he wants our passion to be. Come on, who are you going to call? Like God wants us to be the ones that he's calling on to go into this world. You're not average, you're called. You're not just an everyday person. You're a Christ follower. And so, man, he's issuing these orders to his 72, and he goes on, he says this, verse 3. Come on, read this with me. Now go and remember that I'm sending you out as lambs among wolves. At that point, I'm like, I'm out. Like, never mind, I'm out. Like, this is so disheartening. Wait, what, Jesus? Like, if Jesus would have said, listen, I'm sending you out, and you're going to go kick butt and take names. I'm in. Like, where do I, sign me up. Jesus, if Jesus said, listen, you're going to go, and you're going to, like, you're going to tackle the world, and nothing can stop you. I'm, I'm in. Sign me up. Instead, Jesus says, listen, I'm tying stakes around your neck, and I'm feeding you to the dogs. I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. Here's what he's saying. This is so important. He's saying, if you make a choice to live for me and you make a decision to go into this world, it's not always going to be easy. He said, there's going to be some people. He said, not everybody in this world is going to celebrate you. He said, in fact, there's going to be some people that don't even tolerate you. He said, but nonetheless, you have to go anyways because there's a broken and hurting world that needs us. So he said, I want you to know that just like you got to know that there's going to be some there's going to be some persecution that comes your way. There's going to be some people that maybe resist you. In fact, I don't know if you guys know, but we live in a world right now that is like in one voice telling believers to stop telling them about Jesus. And it doesn't matter how loudly they tell us to be quiet about Jesus. We have to consistently shout the one name, the only name that there is salvation found in, and that is the name of Jesus Christ. We have to resoundingly go into the harvest and win our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors to Christ because that is the only one that can change them for eternity. And, and I don't know if you get this. Like, I want you all to pull in, like, just... Like, why would Jesus do that? Like, I thought Jesus, like, called us to be comfortable and, like, I want you to always have joy and I want you to always have peace and I want you to, like, I, Jesus, like, just come follow me. Like, some of you, your picture of Jesus is like a flower child and he played a harp and skipped everywhere and it was wonderful. 
Like Jesus was muscular. He was a carpenter. And he wasn't afraid to show up in a place and tip some tables over and disrupt some stuff. And what he says right here is so revolutionary because to me what he's saying here is this. Is I'm less interested in the comfort of the saved and more interested in the eternal comfort of the lost. So if I have to send out my disciples and they get like made fun of or things get awkward for a little while or things get scary, I'm okay because they're mine and I got them for eternity. But if putting us in harm's way for the short term wins people to Christ in the long term, I'm telling you, Jesus is all in. And so he's giving out these instructions and he keeps rolling. Verse four is going to disqualify some of you, especially women. Just so you know, there's an out. Here's your out, verse four. Don't take any money with you nor a traveler's bag, nor an extra pair of shoes. Like some women are like, I can't take no extra shoes, I'm out. We, I come from a house of shoes. My wife likes shoes, I like shoes. My son is a sneakerhead. Like when he buys shoes, he keeps them in the box. When he takes them off, he puts them back in the box. We just traveled, you know, recently here. Everywhere he went, he had like five boxes of shoes. There's medication for that. We just can't get him to take it, but... So Jesus like, don't take any money, no traveler's bags, no extra pair of sandals, and don't stop to greet anyone on the road. Now, I'm not going to comment here a lot, but just to say this, what Jesus is challenging us on is like this expediency in our focus. He's saying, I want you to stay on task. He's, gonna, he's saying there's lots, of opp- there's lots of opportunities to get distracted. There's going to be lots of things coming your way that you're going to want to go get involved in. He says, don't forget your mission. Like, don't forget, don't forget why you're here. Don't get so wrapped up in this world that you forget why you're a Christ follower. See, like I'm convinced of this, that some of us, we're going to get so busy chasing the American dream, we're going to miss our kingdom call. Like, like there's, there's nothing wrong. Like, listen, I believe with all of my heart that God wants to prosper us. The Bible says that the blessing of the Lord maketh one rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. You read Psalm 1, you can't get away from the fact that I believe that God wants us to be blessed. But if in your pursuit of success, you're so busy starting a business, getting a degree, getting a house with a white picket fence with 2.5 kids, a cat and a dog that you miss while you're really here, which is to make an impact for God's grace in this world, then listen, one day that house, it's going to dilapidate and die. One day that white picket fence, it's no longer going to be white. Your children one day are going to go into eternity, which means if we put all our eggs in this basket, we've missed it because this is what we're called to do is to impact this world. And again, like I talk like this and people are like, I'm out. You guys, I don't know enough. I'm not in this enough. I'm the wrong person. And so these 72 disciples are looking at each other as Jesus, are giving these, Jesus is giving these instructions. And he says this, verse 5. He says, wherever you enter someone's home or whenever you enter someone's home, first say, may God's peace be on this house. Just a thought. He's saying when you, when you get in contact with people, you can't give them something you don't have. We live in a world of chaos that is desperately looking for the solution of peace. He says, I want you to carry my peace with you and take it where you go. Anybody here, we like know people, anybody here know those people like when they show up, chaos shows up with them? Especially if you're a family and if you're welcome to my home, if I ever invite you, I mean, bring your kids, forget I said this. But like families have like three and four and five kids, little kids. Like when they show up, it's like chaos just showed up. It's like a hurricane just showed up. Like I start like I need some medication when I get around too many kids because they freak me out. Anybody here know anybody like peace when they show up like or joy? Like they show up, just joy shows up. 
like the mood gets lighter, everybody starts laughing. Jesus is saying, I want my peace in your life that when you show up into your world, go into your streets, go into your schools, like the peace shows up. Keep going. He says, verse seven, come on, keep reading with me. Don't move around from home to home. Stay in one place. Everybody shout that. Stay in one place, eating and drinking what they provide. Again, Jesus is like giving all these instructions. And here's what he's saying. He's like, you gotta be tenacious. Like you give up too quick. Just because somebody told you, you invite them to the church, they told you no, now you just have given up on them. He's saying like, you gotta be tenacious. Don't allow people to push you away and reject you so quick. He's saying, stay focused on the task. You know, statistics tell us that it takes on average a person to hear the gospel at least seven different times before they respond. Not even respond positively, just give you any kind of response at all. The Bible says it this way, that some plant and some water, but God gives the increase, which means if we will pull together, if everybody in this church will pull together to make an impact in our community as we have opportunities to love people and serve people and influence people and share what God's done in our life with them, God's saying, man, I'm going to use that and we're going to be tenacious and we're not going to give up on people and we just keep doing it and doing it. God says, eventually, man, they're going to surrender their hearts to the God who loves them. Keep rolling. Now he gets real right here. Heal the sick and tell them the kingdom of God is near you now. Now, I just happen to believe that God can do supernatural things. Now, I'm just foolish enough to believe that God can do anything through anybody at any time. I believe that God can use you to go into a broken home, a broken situation, and a broken person, and through your life, God can use you to bring healing to a person. And Jesus looks at these 72 and says, listen, I want you to go. And I want you to tell them. And I want you to pray for them. And I want you to bring peace in their life. And he says this, he says, and tell them, this is the primary message right here. This is the, this is the primary message of the New Testament. The kingdom of God is near. What he was saying was this. He said, here, here's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, think about this. In God's realm, let me just ask the question. Is there any brokenness in God's realm? Come on, church, is there, any, is, there any, is there anybody who's bound up in God's realm? Any addiction in God's realm? Is there anybody who's hurt in God's realm? No, man, in God's kingdom, there is peace and there is healing and there is deliverance and there is salvation. And he's saying, listen, what I want you to tell people when you get near to them, what I want you to tell them when you get in a circle of influence with them is I want you to tell them the kingdom of God is near. What he's saying is I want you to tell them what God's done in you. See, because everybody in this room, if you've experienced God's love, you've experienced his kingdom. You've experienced his kingdom renewing you and saving you and forgiving you. He says, so I just want you to, like, to go tell him what God has done for you. Like we've made this thing way, way too hard. If you're here today and you think this is just about witnessing, it's not. I'm just telling you like to live, like to live this thing out in your world. But there are times you got to open your mouth and tell somebody about what God's done in your life. Witnessing is not about knowing the three spiritual laws or the Romans road. Those are, those are good things if you know what they are. But what sells a product? Like people who sell products late night. You know what sells products? Personal testimony. It doesn't matter how great a product is. If you get somebody, some dude that was like 400 pounds and now he weighs 180, he's got, he's got ads of steel. I don't know what it is, but I'm buying one. It's going to be in my closet collecting dust, but I'm buying one. If you get one person saying, I bought this thing, I used it, and I'm better, especially if they're like Brett Favre or someone important, like some kind of movie star, some kind of athlete, 
Do you know why personal testimony? All Jesus is saying is, get in a circle of influence and tell somebody what God's done for you. Is there anybody in this church that Jesus has changed your life? That God's forgiven you? God's done something radical? Hey, God, God's done something, man, to change your life around? Is that anybody in this room? Then you can do this. If nothing else, is like a great pickup line. Hey, baby, the kingdom of God is near you, right? <laughs> keep going. Wait, I don't want to get here. Oh, yeah, keep going. So he says, then, watch this. He says, then, he said to his disciples, anyone, this is so big. Everybody read this. Anyone who accepts your message is accepting me. And anyone who rejects you is rejecting me. And anyone who rejects me is rejecting God who sent me. This is so big. This is so big. Do you know why most of you struggle and why myself as well? You know the reason that we struggle to really walk this out, like going into our world, living for God, loving people, sharing Christ. The reason we don't do this is because like we're afraid. Again, we feel ill-equipped, underestimated, but Jesus has chosen you. Another reason is, is because we feel like when we fail, like that's it. I just want you to know something. Listen to me. Never allow success to go to your head and never allow failure to go to your heart. I have found out, and I still struggle with this, honestly. Like, we have a big Sunday. I'm like, man, there's 2,000 people there today, and like 27 people got saved. Like, I go home, like, I'm like king of the world. I'm like, that's right. That's right. I filled that house up. No. Nobody here is accepting me. They're accepting Jesus. And there's times we got a bad weekend and like, you know, attendance is down. Nobody gets saved. The offering's bad. Like I go home, like crawl in a fetal position, pull the blinds in my bedroom and I cry myself a nap. No, because you ain't, you're not rejecting me. You're rejecting Jesus. And so me, man, when we go into this world, guys, you gotta, you gotta not wear your emotions on your sleeve. If we'll live for, with confidence in this world and give people the hope that they need. And just tell people, man, this is what Jesus done for me. This is how he's changed me. This is how he's impacted me. When we do that, if they reject it, they're not rejecting you. They're rejecting Jesus. And if they accept it, like, don't get a big head, like, look what I've done. Because you yourself don't really have anything to offer. It's Jesus. And so, like, he's trying to lay it down, like, don't take this stuff way too personal or you'll quit or you'll get into pride and arrogance. It's all about Jesus. Keep going. Let me, let me stop here. Here's where I want to stop. So you got a picture. Pull this verse off. So you got to picture this. Imagine Jesus has 72 disciples and they're huddled in a circle. He's like, okay, guys, listen. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the plan to win the world. He's like, I can't be everywhere. I can't do it all, but I'm going to send you guys out. And they're like, okay. He's like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go heal sick people. And I want you to tell them the kingdom of God is near. And listen, don't give up. Man, man, wolves, like wolves are going to come at you and you're going to be persecuted. He said, but don't give them. They're like, we won't give up. And he's like, okay, now go do it. And they're like, now? Like, you mean now? Well, I thought you meant later. I didn't know we were doing this now. Can you imagine for real? Like, pitch this. Like, we get way too spiritual in church. Like, we think everybody's like, yeah, let's go do it. Like, in my mind, like, half of them are like, I don't know if I'm going. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm in. And when they went in Paris, can you imagine their conversation? It's like, all right, you talk first and I'll talk second. No, you talk first and I'll talk second. Right? There's this debate, who is going to say what? And finally, and imagine, think about this. They had eyes like saucers, like, Jesus, you want us to do what? We're not professionals. 
We're not special. You need to call the professional Christians. Like, get all the pastors to do it. Like, we're just average, everyday people. And Jesus is like, no, I want you to go do this. And I believe, like, he had to kind of, like, push him, like, out the door. Like, they're in a house. He's like, like, pushed the door and locked it behind him. <laughs> if you have kids, this has happened to you. Anybody here, you have a child, and you want them to go do something, and they don't want to do it? Like, they get invited to a party, and they don't really know anybody. So you tell them, listen, you need to go. You got invited. You're going to have fun. They're like, I don't want to go. I don't know. And they fight you the whole time, and they finally go, right? I mean, you pull up to the place, and you got to kick them out of the car. They're holding on to the bumper when you're trying to leave. Don't leave me here. And when it's time to come back and pick them up, like, they're like, I had an awesome time. And they've been there like nine hours, and you can't get them to leave. Because they thought it was going to be awful, but they finally just went and did it and found out how awesome it was. These 72 disciples, I don't believe they wanted to go. I think they were intimidated. I think they were afraid. I think they were scared. I think they felt like they were out of their league. And when they finally just went and said, man, I'm going to go influence my world. Watch this. Every, every voice here, I want you to shout this. When the 72 disciples returned, come on, say it. They joyfully reported to him. Some translations say they return with joy. I think they came back to like, Jesus, let me tell you. And like 72 voices, no, Jesus, let me tell you what happened to me. No, Jesus, like I talked to this guy and I couldn't believe, like I got to pray with him. No, Jesus, like I talked to this couple and they were getting ready to get a divorce. And like I told him about your love and man, he forgave her and she forgave him. And God, this marriage was restored. No, God, like I pray for this guy and he was crippled and he got up and, and like there was all these stories like, God, we didn't think we could do it. And like we just went and did it because you said we could do it even though we didn't think we could do it. And we did it. And they came back like ecstatic. And they say this. Here's what I want you to see. When the 72 disciples returned, they joyfully reported to him, read this, Lord, even the demons obey us when we use your name. Not that might sound weird to you, and I'm not inviting you into an exorcism ministry. <laughs> I think, Jesus, I think here's what they're saying. The hardest case, the hardest issue to deal with at that time was someone demon-possessed. And if you don't know what that means, like, don't get freaked out. Just hear this. Like, people getting prayed for, like, was pretty common. Even people getting healed, like, it happened. But you read in the gospel stories that people who struggle with demon possession, like a dad has a kid and he don't know where else to go. He's gone to all the professionals and none of the professionals can help him and they always have to go to Jesus. And these guys go out and they're, they're like just sharing God's love and they're sharing their testimony and they're praying for people like they're just being an influence in their world. And when they come back, here's what they found out. They're like, Jesus, like, like we could even, cat, like we couldn't just pray, like we could even cast out demons. Like here's what they were saying. Even I could do it. Everybody say that. Even I can do it. Say it again. Even I can do it. It's kind of like this confidence, like, like Jesus, we thought those, that was for the professionals. Like, like, even I can live for you. Like, even I can influence my world. Like, even I can tell people about you. And like, we can even cast out demons. Like this, like, this confidence of like, God, we did it. And we found out like we could be successful in what we thought we were ill-equipped for. And Jesus, he goes on. He says, uh, you're filling the blank, following Jesus can make the extraordinary ordinary. Like, again, man, you think about that, who are you going to call? Like, we want the specialist. We want, we want the professional. I want you to know you're it. What UNA needs, what Brooks and Florence and Wilson, 
You know what all of our campuses need? Is you. What our workplaces and assembly lines and white-collar jobs and blue-collar jobs, what they need is you. And you may not feel like you're enough, but I want you to know because Jesus has chosen to put you on display, he's chosen to send you in your world. And what seems like it's too hard, it's possible because Jesus is with you and in you. And he can make what seems extraordinary, what seems too difficult, God can make it ordinary. He can make us being influencers a regular part of our day. And then he says this, worship team, if you'll come. He says, yes, he told him, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Again, in the New Testament, like Satan is called the God of this world. He's not God, but basically the term just means because he leverages so much influence in hearts and minds. Like he's in so much control. But when people chose to walk into their world, this is so cool. Like I want you to like just to picture this. When they chose to go into their campus and the workplace and their neighborhood, Jesus said like, when I seen where you went, he said like Satan was elevated in control and like I just seen his kingdom collapse. And like it didn't collapse over time like, like lightning. I saw it crushed down on itself. Like what would happen this year? Like if you start a new school year, if you start a new work cycle, what would happen if you start this new job? What would happen, guys? Come on, if we lived in our world, like with this kind of confidence, like we are the specialists. Like I don't feel like it, but Jesus said I can do it. He says like over your workplace, come on church, and over your family and over your neighborhood, over your community. He says, I'm just gonna watch Satan like his kingdom like just collapse like lightning. I'm just gonna see it like fall down on itself as Jesus gets elevated in the shoals. He finishes up this way, verse 19. It's a great verse. If you guys memorize scripture, I would encourage you to memorize this scripture. He says this, he says, look, I've given you authority over all the power of the enemy and you can walk among snakes and scorpions and crush them. It's a picture again of the demonic. Basically saying like, there's, there's no place you're gonna go where like you not gonna, you're not gonna overcome. The worst case scenario, Jesus like, I can use you there. He says, and nothing will injure you. Verse 20, he brings it back to what the main thing is. He says, but don't rejoice because evil spirits obey you. Rejoice because your names are registered in heaven. He's like, I'm all about the harvest. I'm all about the harvest. He says, I want you to go into the harvest. Come on, guys, you can do this. And I want you to go be influencers. I want you to get out of your seats into the streets. I want you to do this thing. And like, when you come back, don't get excited over all this stuff. Be excited that you were part of the harvest and now you're in. Like you were lost and now you're found. Like that's the joy of the Father is when lost people get saved. Do you know the Bible says all of heaven rejoices when just one person gets saved? I'm telling you, man. First service. First service. I don't know how many people we had. Eight, nine, 10, 12, 13 people get baptized, have probably nine or 10 people get saved. Two or three of those got baptized. First service, I'm telling you, like heaven is losing its mind. Not because 2,000 people sat in a building, but because 13 people moved from death to life. That's what moves the heart of the Father. So I'll give you one more verse. Because again, Jesus, he keeps sending his disciples. He sends the 12, he sends the 72 after his worldly mission of teaching and healing and everything he did, basically duplicating himself and his disciples. He died on the cross of Calvary for the sin of humanity. He was stuck in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, rose from the dead. 
Some of his parting words was sending his disciples out again. He gave them what is known as the Great Commission. He said, hey guys, come on, come on, pull in one more time. He said, you're going to be tempted. You're going to be tempted to want to sit around and just talk about what I taught you. Like, you're going to be tempted just to like do classes and do seminars. He said, but listen, don't get stuck in the huddle. He said, I want you to keep going out. So he gave the Great Commission. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. To surmise that, he said it this way in John 20, verse 21. Real simple, hear this. He said this right here. Everyone shout this last verse. As the Father has sent me, so I'm sending you. Let me just ask you a question. Do you think it was ever uncomfortable for Jesus? Think it was ever difficult? Come on, church. But let me ask you the biggest question. Was it worth it? Do you ever think going for Jesus, the same way the Father sent Jesus, Jesus is sending, do you think it will ever be difficult? Absolutely. Think it's ever going to be hard? Show enough. But is it going to be worth it? For sure.